Good morning and welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. It's great to see all the new faces and lots of returning faces as well. We're glad that the college is back. We feel a little more full around here. Um, Please stand with me for the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Truly our souls find rest in God. Our salvation comes from him. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. Our hope comes from him. Our salvation and our honor depend on God. He is our mighty rock, our refuge. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, bless this hour of worship together. May our spirits be calm and our hearts open to hear and receive what you want us to hear. Be with us in our time of worship and help us to recognize the ways that you bless our lives each and every day. Lord's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. What an awesome promise that God will never forsake us. And it's one of the reasons we gather each week to, to declare who He is and our faith in Him. It's great to see each of you here, and I want to give you a chance to say a word of greeting to each other, perhaps introduce yourself to someone that you don't know or you haven't seen for a little while. morning. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Michael Jordan. I'm the dean of the chapel at the college and uh, a member of this church. Very glad to be. And um, I lead a small group that meets, um, well, it meets at Becky Hutton's house now. Last year we were meeting at the Lucky's house and the Little's house. And one day we were sitting around talking just about Houghton's history and specifically about connecting with students and how it's different now than it was before. Uh, Specifically, we're talking about how in previous days, many students lived in faculty and staff and community homes. And so it made it a real natural point of connection uh, between the town and the college. We're just saying it's harder now that that doesn't happen as much. We feel like a lot of the structures for connecting the town and and the college are not the same as they were, and so the connection's not as strong. So I talked with Wes and asked if he would mind me making an announcement this morning, just inviting you to think of some ways that we have that you might want to connect with what we're doing at the college, uh, just to welcome you to what we're doing up there. There are two specific things I want to do as well as a general invitation. But the first specific one is that Clue is next week, Christian Life Emphasis Week. Clue is a bit of a misnomer because now it's Christian Life Emphasis Half Week. Uh, We hope the Christian life is always emphasized, but now it goes from Sunday through Wednesday. And uh, I know when I was a student, it was a week long, and Wes was saying before it used to be two weeks long, which I didn't realize, so I don't know what, I guess then it was Christian Life Emphasis two weeks, so that's, anyway. But uh, at this point, there's a a schedule of the services on the back of your bulletin, and I just want to really invite you to be part of that. That's not something that, uh, you know, Wes and I just sort of put on for the students, but it's a way of connecting folks together. Part of what I say to college students all the time is how important it is for them to be rooted in a community. And this is a chance right at the beginning of the year for you all to come around them, uh, to love them, to get to see them and take an interest in their spiritual life. And they will notice if you're there. So I just really would invite you uh, to be part of that. In addition, just in general, you're always welcome at the services of worship we have up at the college. The most prominent one is chapel. That's every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 1105. Those are open to the public. Anybody can come in, but I'd especially invite you guys to be part of it. We also have morning prayer every morning at 7.30. And that's in the basement of Wesley Chapel in the little prayer chapel that's there. And again, that's a service that's open to the public. It's usually a little gathering. It's not like we have all thousand students show up for morning prayer at 7.30. You remember being a student, so 7.30 seems amazingly early in the morning. Uh, I knew I had passed that point when I started having children and 7.30 seemed like the luxurious sleep-in, you know? Um, But, so we have morning prayer. Every day classes are in session, Monday through Friday at 7.30. It's just a brief 15-minute service of prayer, scripture, reading. And then to close the day at 3.45, in the third floor of the library, we have a communion service. Again, just 15 minutes long. 
And one specific way I thought I'd invite you to be part of that, I mean, you're always welcome to attend, but I thought maybe there are some folks in our church who might be willing to bake bread for the communion service. Because I'm doing communion every day, I can use five loaves of bread a week. And so if you're interested in making bread for that service, just as a way of sort of uh, tangibly saying to our students, we care about your nourishment when you're at Houghton. That's a great way to do that. So if you're interested in making bread once a week, once a month, just get in touch with me and I'll put you uh, in the schedule because we'd be glad to have that sort of help too. Uh, again, if you have any other ways you'd like to connect with the college you're curious about, come and talk to me about it. would love to uh, connect you there. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. The other thing I want to mention is to bring your attention to the inserts in your bulletin. Uh, there's an insert about helping, uh, another way about connecting with students and students with community members, and you see uh, the ways that you can be involved in hosting students, getting connected to them. There's also an insert about from the, working in the nursery and also one about just getting connected in a variety of ways, children, youth, college students, adults, music, greeters, uh, whatever ways you would like to be involved. I'm convinced that involvement and service is one of the most important parts of developing our, our faith. So we encourage you to, to do that and uh, to get involved. And you can, there's a box in the back or you drop it in the offering plate or uh, just contact the church office so we we'll just get, get you connected to the right people. The church choir begins our worship ministry this season with a familiar hymn, even though it's not in our hymn book, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. This hymn is arranged by Eric Bud Nelson, a 1980 Houghton graduate and later a faculty member and now director of choral studies at Emory University. His gentle setting enhances a 1750s hymn writer's personal testimony of gratitude and praise for God's helping, saving, and keeping grace. We're invited to join by giving our hearts and lives completely over to God's care.
Please join me in the prayer of confession that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you have raised Jesus from death to life and crowned him Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. We have gone along with the ways of the world and failed to give him glory. Forgive us and raise us from sin that we may be your faithful people obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ who rules the world and is head of the church, his body. In his name we pray, amen. The Old Testament scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, O you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, Here now is the man who did not make his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward, please stand for the singing of the doxology. Lord, help us to have our hearts and our treasures stored up in you and not in our pockets and in our wallets and in earthly things. Let this time be an opportunity for us to give abundantly and give gratefully as a way to say thank you for all that you've blessed us with. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.
we take a few moments to offer our prayers to God, if you would like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, it is our desire that you would be our vision. That we would see you more clearly and would understand you in deeper ways. That our hearts would be filled with who you are. This is our desire because you are the great God, the only God. And we've come today to worship you and to offer our praise to you. And to pray to you. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent this morning. For those who are grieving and for those who are suffering from illness and pain. And the various ways in which struggles come to us in this life. We pray for your healing grace. We pray for your comforting presence. We pray, Father, for... uh, A sense of of your spirit with us as we ponder the future. We are on the precipice of beginning an academic year. The academy has begun. The college is just about to begin. The public schools are getting closer to beginning. Lord, in all of these settings, we pray, Father, that you will be present. We ask, Father, that you would help relieve anxiety and fear about the future. We pray more than anything that you would work miraculously in us spiritually. We pray, Father, for uh, missionary families who at this time are uh, dropping off their children at school and going back to a completely different country or sending their children We pray that you will bring comfort in these difficult times. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. We pray for peace in Nigeria in the midst of opposition and violence and half a million displaced Christians. It's beyond our comprehension. We pray that you will be near your people. We pray that you will... You will sustain them and encourage them and may they continue to be a witness for you in very difficult circumstances. Father, we ask for your grace on all of our lives. Help us to be people who are concerned about the needs of others and that we will see you working not only in us but through us. Lord, we We do pray for our nation as well, and we think of uh, this week commemorating the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina and all the damage and devastation in New Orleans and up and down the the Gulf Coast. Lord, we thank you for the healing that's taken place and restoration, but we also know that there is still so much more to do. There's still people who, who are struggling. 
And we pray, Father, for continued healing, for continued work of your people in relieving the burden. And Father, in our nation that is wrestling with so much violence, we pray for peace. We pray for an overwhelming sense of your spirit we desperately need. Lord, thank you so much for hearing our prayers. In all of these times, Father, help us to trust you. Help us to know your grace that we might live in peace, walk in your ways. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand for the New Testament scripture reading. This is found in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. And following the scripture reading, children in ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for children's church. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. This is the word of the Lord.
Be seated. There aren't a lot of the Psalms that tell us the context in which they're written. Last week we looked at Psalm 51 and it is one of the Psalms that tells us why uh, the author pens it. And this week is one of the other Psalms that tells us the context in which uh, this Psalm is written and what, what motivates it being written. It says in the introduction for the choir director, a Psalm of David, Regarding the time, Doeg the Edomite said to Saul, David has gone to see Ahimelech. Now, that sounds pretty innocuous. It seems a little strange that you would write a whole psalm about David going to visit Ahimelech. And if you read the psalm, you think that must have been a pretty interesting visit. But the truth of the matter is there is the background to that story that goes back to 1 Samuel 21, 22, and even before that. In the earlier part of um, 1 Samuel, David comes into the, uh, the home of Saul, living in the palace, eating in the palace. He sort of becomes Saul's best guy until Saul's heart begins to turn away from God and he becomes quite paranoid and maybe for good reason because David has now been anointed Saul's successor. And Saul is doing everything he can to try to prevent that from happening. Including trying to pin David to the wall a couple of times with a spear. David gets the picture. I think I'm going to go somewhere else to spend my time. And he takes off with a band of uh, maybe a few hundred soldiers and men and renegades. And they live in caves and in the mountains and doing everything they can to evade the army of Saul. And they've been out for just a little while. This conflict is, has not yet come to its full conclusion. And a lot of people in the kingdom don't know that this division has taken place. And David and his men are hungry. And he goes to the town of Nob, to the temple. And he says, uh, I, I, uh, I'd like to, uh, do you have anything to eat? And Ahimelech is the priest there where they worship in Nob. And he says, the only bread I have is basically what we would say, the communion bread. It's bread that's set aside for the worship. And he says, I, I think this is a legitimate reason to use it. So he gives David the bread. And as David is leaving, he notices that Doeg the Edomite is standing there watching all of this take place. He knows Doeg because Doeg is the chief shepherd in, of Saul. And they've had interactions, I'm sure, through the years that David has been connected to the, to the home and palace of Saul. And he sees him and he thinks to himself... That's not good. But he doesn't do anything about it. You know, he's in a hurry. He's hungry. He's got guys waiting for him. He later says, I knew that was a mistake to just walk past him. Because what ends up happening in the next section is Saul is is ranting and raving about how all of his officers and the people have turned against him. Even his own son, Jonathan, has made a, a pact with David to protect David. And he says to them, what is wrong with you people? Does no one here care about me? Does no one care that I'm the king? And Doeg says, well, I've got some information about David. He says, what do you got? He says, well, I, I saw David go get some bread from Ahimelech, the priest, and Nob. And Saul is furious. He says, go get him. 
So he grabs the priest, they drag him back, and he says, why would you give my enemy bread? And Ahimelech is clueless. Your enemy? I thought you and David were like this. Not anymore. He said, well, I didn't know. He said, well, that's too bad. And he turns to the soldiers, and Saul says, kill him. And the soldiers go, I don't think so. That's the priest of God, of Yahweh. We're not killing him. Doeg steps forward and says, I'll do it. And he kills him. And he kills the 85 other priests that are associated with that place of worship. And then he goes to the town of Nob and he slaughters everybody. And he comes back and says to Saul, it's taken care of. We're good. And somewhere along the line, when David hears what has happened, of course he feels a certain element of guilt because he didn't do anything in that moment when he could have, but he didn't know. But he also feels this overwhelming sense of anger and frustration. Because you get a feeling from the psalm that Doeg is boasting about what he's done. How great he is. What a great warrior he is. And he's almost like he's saying, you guys think David is so great? Look what happens to the people who are friends of David. Who won this battle? And somewhere along the line, in response to all of this, David pens this psalm. And if you... Put the psalm in a nutshell. I think it would say something like this. In the face of evil and injustice, trust that God is good. Now, you would expect the Bible to say that, right? I mean, if you've been around the church, that's what the Bible says over and over again. Trust that God is good. Trust that God is good. And we know that... But the reason we need to read this psalm and think about it is because we all struggle to do it. Especially in these times when evil and injustice is so prevalent and so painful. And we get that because we live in a world that's filled with injustice and evil. We don't even have to go very far. We don't have to look hard at all. I don't know how you responded, but it was... So tragic of the shooting of the photographer and the reporter. Innocent people just doing their job. You think about the, the refugees who were found dead in the back of a pickup truck. Suffocated. The boat that capsized with other refugees, 100 and some, 120 some people died. War and violence and and. Innocent people dealing with terrorism and persecution. Think about even the church in Nigeria and half a million refugees displaced because of the violence there. And that's just one country among many. We see it over and over and over again. And and that is when we get into human trafficking and abuse and all the ways in which evil is at work in our world and injustice is at work in our world. And, and even we've experienced little bits and pieces of it ourselves when people hurt us and lie about us and do damage to us, our reputations. And, and in those moments, we get so frustrated and burdened. And we look around the world and we think, what is going on here? What do we do about it? And something in us, the temptation in us, is to say, if I just close myself off from it, if I just ignore it, then I won't feel bad about it. And there is a tendency to do that. 
I won't watch the news. I won't read the internet. I, won't, I, don't, I don't want to get into those conversations because it's just too painful. It's just too much. And there is a sense in which that is, that is a, a, a knee-jerk reaction, a natural response. And I think the reason we may do that is because to face evil head-on is painful. To allow the evil and injustice of the world to get a hold of us is difficult. And it tears at our hearts and it, and it rips the fabric of our emotions. And, and we don't know what to do about it. But the answer is not denial. As I've said before, denial is not a spiritual discipline. There is nothing about trusting God that starts with denial. We don't trust God because, well, we just ignore all the bad stuff and then it's easy to trust God. We look the bad stuff straight in the face and say, in spite of that, I trust that God is good. It's hard to do that. One of the struggles we have with with facing evil and injustice is that it causes us to get really angry. And, And in a sense, it should. We ought to be angry about evil and injustice. But we need to be careful. I think this psalm is addressing two problems. The first one is the problem of people who commit evil. The people who perpetrate injustice. And it's a warning to them to understand that, as he says in verse 1, God's justice goes on forever and ever. A day of reckoning is coming. So don't think you can just get away with evil. I suspect that for most of us, despite our imperfections, for most of us, maybe the greater struggle is the second part of what the psalm is addressing, and that is how we respond to the evil and injustice in the world. And I think the warning for us is just as we can get so enamored with what we want in this world that we trample people and walk over people and commit all kinds of of acts that in our sane moments, we couldn't imagine ourselves doing. Just as that is a temptation, the other side of it is also a temptation that when we get so angry about evil that vengeance can rise up in our hearts and out of that vengeance can easily come bitterness. And there is a fine line between being angry about evil and injustice and it leading us to good and being angry and, and about evil and injustice and it leading us down the wrong path. One of the ways in which we know we're heading down the wrong path is when we want to, we want to combat evil by, quite frankly, doing evil. That we feel like if, if this is the strategy of evil, the only way to defeat it is to use the same strategy. And the church has an unfortunate history of making that decision so that when people overtly reject the faith, there have been times in, our, in the history of the church where those people have been persecuted and even their lives taken from them. We tend not to do that now. We vilify people. We post things on the internet we, we, you know, we get upset and angry and it leads us to treat people in a way that is not like Christ. And we justify that because we're right and they're not. And we're on the side of good and they're on the side of evil. And so if you're on the side of good, anything goes. You can do what you want to defeat evil. 
But that's not how the kingdom works. Jesus comes and addresses evil not by fighting and crushing his enemies, but by going to a cross. The scriptures tell us again and again that the the way to overcome evil is love. And the pathway to that love is trusting God. Trusting that God is good and merciful. That God will, will do what needs to be done. We are called to trust that he is who he says he is. That he does what he says he does. That he carries out his promises. Not from a spirit of wrath and vengeance, but from a spirit of mercy that leads to justice. The problem is God doesn't always do that the way we want him to. He doesn't always do things in the timing and and using the solutions that we think are right. We get upset, we get get frustrated, and and we're saying, God, you got to do something about this now. I was thinking about that this week. We were dealing with a, uh, a federal agency with some issues. And, and, of course, anytime you start talking about we have to deal with a federal agency, you know there's going to be pain involved in it. And there's going to be struggle and problems. And we were dealing with that and trying to figure it out and trying. I mean, look at this and thinking, this is not that complicated. It's common sense. But, of course, again, common sense and federal government tend to not go together. Bureaucracy. And you could put that at a lot of levels but of, of different things. But, you know, we're just thinking, this, how hard can this be? Why can't we get this done? Why does it have to be so complicated? And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't even want to tell you the things that were going through my mind about God... I hope you do this to these people who are making this happen to us. I hope you have some places reserved for them. And, I realize, and then I read Psalm 52 and I'm thinking, yikes, I can't do that. I've got to check my attitude. And I'm thinking, God, you, why aren't you acting? And that's just a small little thing compared to so much that's going on in the world. And I don't know exactly why God doesn't respond the way we think he should. He doesn't respond as quickly as we want or in the way that he wants. I mean, there are, I have some ideas about it, but I wonder if one of those things, one of the reasons is because if God always responded immediately to every problem, then we wouldn't feel the need to be involved at all. We'd have no reason to feel compassion to people in need. We'd have no reason to invest ourselves in places of pain and hurt. And because, but because God doesn't get involved immediately like we want, more often than not, that opens the door for us to say, what can I do? How can I be a channel of God's healing in this situation? How, what can I do to help curb evil that's going on? What can I do to sacrifice, to get involved so that I relieve some of the pain and the struggle and the pressure and the hurt that this person or these people are experiencing. And the more of those kinds of things we do, the more our heart is sensitive to the Spirit of God. And the more our hearts are sensitive to the Spirit of God, the more we become like Christ, which is the goal. 
And we are filled with the spirit of compassion and love and grace and involvement and sacrifice in the spirit of Jesus. Maybe that's one reason why God waits. But ultimately, we don't know the reason always. But whatever the reason may or may not be, we do know we are continually called to believe that despite what we think and despite what we feel and despite what we see, God is at work. Because we believe God is good. And we're going to trust him. We believe that ultimately God is going to set everything straight. Ultimately, God is going to, to reveal his justice in the way that he knows is right. But I'm hoping and praying that as God reveals his justice, there is a whole lot of mercy. Or I don't know about you, but I'm going to be in trouble. And I'm asking God to give me the ability to be, to be angry like Jesus about injustice and evil, but not to be filled with bitterness and vengeance and hatred. To believe that, that I don't have to feel that way because God is good and God is in control and he knows what he's doing and I can trust him. And instead of feeling like I'm not sure God knows what he's doing, I better step in and take care of this. I work and invest and help and trust God. I wonder if that's what David means when in verse 8 he says, I'm like an olive tree that flourishes. I've got to be honest, it, it seems an abrupt change that he's making. He's talking all about, you know, the evil and what's going to happen to them. And, and the people who, who are doing good are going to be rejoicing. And the people who are doing evil are not going to be rejoicing. And then he says, but I'm like an olive tree that flourishes in the soil. It makes me wonder if David isn't simply talking about how an olive tree is, is so valuable, particularly in the ancient cultures. The, the food, as food, as oil to light lamps and to dispel the darkness and even use as, for medicinal purposes. It, it is so valuable and so positive and so good in all of their lives. But I also think he's contrasting what he says in verse 5, that when he's talking about those who do evil, who are committed to evil, they're going to be, they're going to be ripped up like roots out of the soil. Because... They are committed to just gratifying themselves and evil. And David is like an olive tree that's firmly planted in the soil. Who produces fruit to heal people in need. And how can David be confident to know I'm like an olive tree? Because he knows that in his heart, despite his many imperfections, what he wants in his heart is to trust God. And that's what God is asking from us. Ultimately, God is going to to set things straight. N.T. Wright talks about God putting things right. He says the Psalms don't give us an answer to the problem of evil. But instead, the Psalms 
remind us again and again that God is renewing and restoring his creation. And the day is coming when we will see that in all of its fullness and glory. And God will be especially clear to right the wrongs that human beings do to each other. And and he will be especially uh, healing to those who are weak and defenseless and vulnerable. The people who tend to get trampled on by injustice. And he will set things straight. And it's that day that gives us hope. It's that day that allows us to wait and to trust even when we don't see it like we'd want to. Sometimes we ask the question, you know, what is God doing about evil? What is God doing about injustice? And the answer really is staring us in the face at this table. Because when we come to this table, we are, we are engaging ourselves anew with the cross. As, as we take the bread and, and the cup, the words are spoken, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. What does God do about evil? He sends his son to the cross. And Jesus goes to the cross willingly and lovingly to be the final, ultimate answer to evil. And we may not see it right now. And we may not understand it all right now. But can we trust? Can we believe? And it's not a trusting that, God, I'll trust you when you take care of this problem. God, I'll trust you if you deal with this evil. It's simply, God, I will trust you. I will trust you when things are like I hope they would be and when they're not. I will trust you when it feels like evil has the upper hand and when it doesn't. I will trust you when I can't see you at work just as I will trust you when I can. For I believe with David that you, O Lord, are good and merciful and just. This is the calling upon us. It is that trust and that hope that gives us all that we need to be influences for truth and peace and justice and love in this world that desperately needs it. So what are we going to do? Hear God's call through David. I'll trust you. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy at work in us and in this world. And you know how we sometimes wrestle to see it, to believe it, to trust. Give us grace to trust you more. Father, as we prepare to 
to come to this table. We pray that your blessing will be poured out upon the bread and the cup. We pray, Father, that that your Holy Spirit will speak into our souls as we eat and drink. That we might experience you anew. Father, thank you for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do it, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you can return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altars always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we do have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And and I have gluten-free wafers here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come up. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time you have ever worshipped here. If you come today with your heart open to God, with a desire in your heart to trust him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly father.
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.